Hello, and welcome back to the podcast True Crime Trine. It's a podcast, like I said, uh, where the planets align <laughs> and three friends, three again, uh, chat about true crime, astrology, and any weird bullshit that can fit into this podcast. We are your host, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Nope. Why did I do that? <laughs> Why did you do that? Just cut her voice out. Welcome to episode 82. Keep it. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it. I don't even know where that fucking came from. I've had that's not your name. Two sips of beer. (laughs) Oh god. Biznatch time? Throw it over to Meredith. Yes, Meredith here. I have a little bit of housekeeping. Not much, but a little bit. We are now at 6,065 listens. Wow. Who else that? 666. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we are in 41 of the 50 states, and we are in 38, nope, 39 countries. Awesome. Okay. Well, should we do this? Yeah. Sure, it's going to go great. Let's go back to the seemingly endless well of women who kill their lovers. Yay! Hannah's got a type. You know what what I like, guys. Uh, And it's women who kill their lovers. So this is the story of Anna Marie Hahn, also historical. Okay. So there's doubly that. So... Anna, she's probably Anna, because she was born in the Bavarian town of Fusen. Bavarian? Yep, Bavarian. Oh. <laughs> I always say Bavarian. Like, There's lots of bar- like Barbarian, but Bavarian. I always say Bavarian. I am a, a stupid <laughs> idiot. Bavarian town of Fusen, which is perched on the edge of the Alps. Her father was a furniture manufacturer, and their family was religious well-off and respected in the community. She was the youngest of 12 children. So to make it a little easier, 12 of those were dead. Uh, Oh, so she's an only child? Oh, no. Oh, my. Can someone? What? (laughs) This is the COVID brain fog that you've been warned about. Five of them were dead. (laughs) Oh, okay. I was like, man, at some point, I would just stop trying. (laughs) Okay. So there's seven. Yes, and she's the youngest. Still a lot. Still a lot. Um, She was the youngest, and so her mother would admit that she was also her favorite, which I don't think I would say my last Ooh. child. I'd be fucking sick of it. <laughs> but, you know, she was the baby of the family. She was spoiled and, you know, the pet, whatever. Anna would describe her first great love as when she was 19, she met Dr. Max Matschelke. Whatever. According to Anna, he was a famous... Viennese physician working on a cure for cancer. Mm. We haven't got there yet, folks. (laughs) Quote, unquote, one of the greatest doctors in the world and handsome as a movie star. Okay. Sorry, what year is this again? Well, Anna's 19. She was born in 1906. So, 28. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I did that math. Brain fog's weird. Works in mysterious ways. Uh, Maybe I'll be really good at math when we're done here. (laughs) All right, so he basically 
was able to woo Anna, and she would describe it as the kind of love that every young girl thinks about, this love at first sight. I was happy then. <laughs> so Dr. Max was like, yeah, I'll definitely marry you. And eventually they, they slept together. Okay. Test drive. Test drive. Yeah. yeah. You gotta try it out. But problem, Anna got pregnant. Oh. And Ooh. Dr. Max was married. Oh. And he had a wife in Vienna. So he Oh, so this was a, yeah, I'll definitely marry you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and <laughs> t- take off those many layers. Childhood dreams crashed. Anna would say, it was just like a mountain falling on me. Not killing me, but just smothering and crushing me. Problem with this story is that Anna's kind of a liar. So Dr. Max never existed, but she would tell everyone about Dr. Max. Oh. oh. She really was pregnant. It was just some boring, normal dude Name from the village. Boy. Yeah, boring. Boring. The town drunk. Yeah, like. She just had to make it sound interesting. She so had to make it sound super cool. Laid anybody around. Yeah, so she did have her son, Oscar. And then she got the fuck out of Dodge and went to America. So it did take her, well, not the fuck out. It took her a little while. It took her two years to get a visa. And mm-hmm. she left at age 22. She left her son behind and said she would come get him when she, you know, was established in America. All right. So to fund this trip, Anna wrote to her uncle, another Max, Max Doshell. This man lived in Cincinnati. And she wrote him a letter and asked him for a loan. Max is like... Who is this? <laughs> um, <laughs> who? Who dis? <laughs> New phone, who dis? Yeah, he never heard from her before, but he did send her $236. Well, there's something. And waited for her to arrive because she said she was going to come to him. Oh, okay. And she did. She arrived in Cincinnati in February 1929. She was a pretty blonde and she spoke English well, so she was able to practice during those two years for that visa. She got scarlet fever almost immediately. Jesus. She was down for several months. But by April, she was healthy enough to find employment at a hotel. All right. So once she was no longer sick with scarlet fever, Max and his family got to meet the real Anna. And they were very confused about how much money she had, considering she only worked at a hotel. And also a little perturbed that she never offered to repay their loan that they gave her to cross the seas. Yeah. Yeah, she would make these really extravagant purchases, but then kind of hide them from the family because, like, they were way too expensive for a hotel girl. Can we not? You're going to... Now it's Wobbles um, screaming at the door. (laughs) All right. So, at the hotel where Anna works, she met what is described as the mild, mousy Philip Hahn. Okay. This is another Crippen, Dr. Crippen story. Yeah. Anna would say, quote, he was nice to me and said he loved me and wanted to marry me. I was afraid at first when he talked about marriage. But Philip agreed to also act as Oscar's father. So Anna relented and the two got married a year later. So by July 1930, she's married. She does take a trip back to Germany. She picks up her son, heads back to Cincinnati. Her aunt and uncle were like, who's this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also never told them she had a son. <laughs> Alrighty. She had a number of bad habits, like betting on horse racing. She liked to sign bad checks. Oh, fraud. Okay. Cool. Uh, she opened a restaurant with a Philip and then tried to burn it down for insurance money. 
And then More also fraud. tried to burn down her own house for Great insurance science. money. Okay. She's all married. Philip is a father to Oscar, whatever. Boring. So one of her <laughs> first affairs was with Ernest Kohler, their 62-year-old landlord. Ew. Ew. Gross. And so he was renting two rooms to the Hans, and he also rented a room to a doctor who never locked his office so that Anna could sneak in and forge prescriptions for narcotics on his blank prescription pads. Jesus. <laughs> but she also liked to flirt with Kohler. Okay. Living the dream. <laughs> Actually, kind of, yes. This, maybe this is why you flirt with an old guy. He did die on, suddenly on May 6, 1933. From prescription painkillers? <laughs> <laughs> left Anna his home, which was valued at $12,000. Whoa. How does she explain that? Oh, I was just really good friends with him. That way, I guess. <laughs> also a car, a little more than $1,000 in a savings account, and a bunch of priceless antiques. Okay. Wow. So, what's a bit awkward when the coroner's office received several anonymous phone calls that said <laughs> Kohler had been poisoned, but Anna said no. He died of esophageal cancer. Oh. So the coroner checked the esophagus, seemed bad, found out poison, <laughs> and sent Kohler to be cremated. Okay. All right. So next male friend was a 63-year-old coal dealer named George E. Heiss. And we'll see a pattern here in that Anna likes her men elderly and German and lonely. And then they could bond over a missing Germany and whatnot. Oh, okay. And then, you know, she would talk to them, make them feel special. She was willing to cook for them, nurse them, whatever they really needed. Mm-hmm. So she's seen George now. Anna would tell George that she had divorced her husband. She had not. <laughs> but George started to drop some hints about that he was going to ask her to get married. Oh. And she was still married to Philip Hahn, but like, whatever. He's a nothing guy. <laughs> Just taking care of her kid. Yeah, basically. He didn't like that she hung out with a bunch of old men, but Anna didn't care. Anna didn't listen to him. <laughs> she did poison one of his meals one time, but she didn't even try that hard to fucking kill him. So, like, he was really unimportant to her. <laughs> George or Philip? Philip. Oh, okay. Well, like, Philip is just a nothing man. Good. He's the nanny. He did get violently ill after that meal. Had suspicions that he might have been poisoned, and the marriage cooled down even more than it already was. But he did stick around, maybe for Oscar, the child's sake. Okay. In the meantime, Anna was spending time with George Heist, asking for little amounts of money, and he would always lend it to her. Sometimes it came out of his pocket, and sometimes it came from his business account at the Consolidated Coal Company. Hmm. So, by the time her quote-unquote loans had reached $2,000, the company's, like, finance guy was like, what, what's happening, sir? <laughs> what is this? George was forced to admit that he had a very pretty young girlfriend that he could not say no to. <laughs> this credit manager, definitely a Capricorn, doesn't care about young love, was pressuring Anna to repay her, her, her loans. Yeah, fuck you guys, where's my money? I got <laughs> to get the books balanced. This also did make George a little more su suspicious and he really noticed that okay yeah Anna does ask me for money a lot and uh oftentimes when she cooks for me I do feel very sick afterwards mm -hmm. oh Jesus he told her he wanted his two thousand dollars back and he never wanted to see her again Ew. 
So that was, oh, oops, we lost a guy. So she was losing one sugar daddy. She had to quickly scramble around to get a second sugar daddy. And okay. at the end of 1936, she met Albert Palmer, 72. They bonded over their mutual love of betting 72. on 72. Yeah, horse races. <laughs> All right. So once again, Albert totally smitten with Anna, loved her, loved her cooking. They were going to take a trip to Florida together, which I think is hilarious. Ooh, Florida. <laughs> Did they go to the Burger King? Like, <laughs> uh, what's his face? Uh, what's his face? Um, shit. The other Viennese guy. Yeah, the Austrian dude. She would leave him little notes as such. Quote, my dear sweet daddy, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> then with all my love and a lot of kisses, your Anna. Daddy. Is this like the first written account of using the word daddy for like, a lover? <laughs> Sugar daddy. <laughs> well, Ruth Snyder was doing it, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anna was also able to sweet talk Albert out of $2,000. Oh. And she did start to partially pay back George, which was kind of surprising that she even did that at all. But Albert Palmer did end up kind of finding out that she was paying George back. He was kind of a sugar daddy-esque to her, whatever. And so he was a little upset about that. And so he also gave Anna an ultimatum. She needed to either repay that $2,000 right away, or she could become his girlfriend permanently and exclusively. Stop seeing George and anyone else who might come across your path. Somehow he has no idea about Philip. Honestly, I yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want you to see anyone else, even your husband. Philip's like a house elf. He's not allowed <laughs> to go outside. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Philip has very little place in this story. Well, Anna never had to make the choice. On March 26, 1937, Albert Palmer died of what appeared to be a heart attack. <laughs> so, on the hunt for another sugar daddy... She found him by showing up at a random apartment building and just asking a woman if any old men lived there. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what? And the woman was like, uh, yes, there's this older German immigrant. His name's Jacob Wagner. He's renting one of the apartments. Why are you asking? <laughs> and Anna was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's he's my uncle. I just forgot his name. Don't worry about it. <laughs> And then she slipped a note under his door to organize a meeting. They hit it off. Once again, give me money. You'll be great. So you get slipped a note under your door and you're like, yeah. I mean, lonely German. She knows her. Um, she knows lonely her. Lonely old German. Lonely old German. She knows her demographic. Yeah. Poor old dudes have, probably haven't gotten any for like a couple decades. In the meantime, <laughs> as she was hanging out with Jacob Wagner, she also... Befriended an elderly widow. So, also going after the ladies. Okay. She found a fake nurse's uniform somewhere, put that on, told the old lady she was a nurse, and then killed her. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Honest old valuables that the widow kept under her bed. And okay. then she hawked those and bought herself this really beautiful rabbit fur coat. And then the widow was like, where's all my stuff? And Anna was like, I'll try to find it. If you pay me $80, and the <laughs> widow did, and then she finished the woman off with a dish of poisoned ice cream. Aww. Okay. In the meantime, she always manages to make her sugar daddies seem a little bit suspicious of her, and 
Jacob Wagner also was like, hey, where's my checkbook? Hey, wait a minute. But I was like, oh, somehow was able to brush that off and, you know, kept cooking for him. It's my secret ingredient. Yay! <laughs> it's arsenic. <laughs> Very soon, Jacob was in the hospital, quote, semi-conscious, retching with pain, and in a state of oh. shock and dying. Oh, no. And apparently arsenic poisoning can make you, like, crazy thirsty. So... As he was dying, he was also begging for someone to give him a drink of water. Oh. He did die. And, okay, that's great, but Anna's not taken care of. So she does go pretty quickly to the nearest court and, you know, kind of played like, oh no, sad, you know, sad woman to all the men there. And then suggested that, why don't one of you, you big strong deputies, like, go search Wagner's apartment? Maybe there's, like, something important in there. (laughs) Well, there was a handwritten will. Oh. Saying, quote, I hereby make my last will and testament, and I am under no influence. I have my money in the fifth third bank. After my funeral expenses and all bills are paid, I want the rest to go to my relative, Anna Hahn. I want Mrs. Hahn to be my executioner. I don't want any flowers, and I don't want to be laid out. End will. Executioner? <laughs> of the will. Executor. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I was like, she was his executioner. I've never said that word or thought that word correctly in my life. Oh but, my god. Okay. I love that. That's such a good, like, Freudian slip. Jesus. All right. Got herself some more shit. <laughs> I love how it's just, like, relative, though. I know. It doesn't even say, like, niece or something. And, like, relative. Apparently, no one cares that much about Jacob. They're like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> you, you can have even it. Even though it was in her handwriting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, she can't be lonely for long. So, a few weeks later from Jacob's death, she meets 67 year old George Gelsman. He, another older German, he did consider himself to be a bit of a ladies' man. And <laughs> so he, after he met Anna, he did go and boast to one of his exes, quote, you wouldn't marry me. And now I went and got a young, blonde German school teacher. <laughs> okay. So, meh. He, I guess, did not have that much money because she only got $100 out of him. Mm. The bank was suspicious because that was the largest amount of money like he's ever written a check for. <laughs> but whatever. And then one night, he was super excited, told all his neighbors he's getting married the next morning. Oh my god! Well, no. He died. He died. He died. Yeah, he was dead by the next morning. Oh. You know. He was so happy. Poor bastard. Okay, so she had one last elderly German man victim. This is Johann George Obendofer. He was a semi-retired cobbler, a widower the proud grandfather of 11 grandchildren oh, he's a pappy and then he met anna when she's like dropped by his shop to see if she could get one of her shoes fixed and she was all german and charming and blonde and it was all great johan loved her and after just a few weeks of dating johan's like hey maybe we should get engaged how about that and i was like i love that idea for us but <laughs> we should probably go on a vacation together first just to see how we are together. And she's like, I have this beautiful cattle ranch. It's in Colorado. We'll bring my son. We'll go check it out. And if we really like it there, maybe we'll move there. A cattle ranch? Yeah, whatever. Johan loved this idea. <laughs> so on July 20th, 1937, he packed his satchel, stopped for a celebratory morning beer, showed up at <laughs> Anna's house. So German. Yeah. Had a nice breakfast. Got on the train. Did Philip serve them breakfast? Philip just did not come up in this at all anymore. <laughs> Philip 
I don't know, man. Maybe he traveled a lot. Was he a traveling salesman? I don't What was his... What was his profession? Pansy boy? Oh, poor dude. Oh, yeah, he's... We never actually figured it out. He's just a mild, mousy figure. Okay. Okay, so on this journey from uh, Cincinnati to Chicago, uh, Johan got violently ill on the train. Mm. Oh. So once in Chicago, they took a little pause on their journey. She got a nice fancy hotel for herself and her son and a separate shitty seedy motel for Johan to stay in while he was very ill. They did actually, Johan did actually come with them to Denver as part of the vacation. He was still violently ill. When they went to check on him, he was writhing in bed, splattered with his own feces and vomit. As Oscar watched, Anna pretended to be a caring person and tried to feed him some watermelon, um, which Johan could not keep down. And so she's like, well, I tried and moved on to more important business. And so while he was still writhing and vomiting and whatnot, she wrote a letter to his banker in Cincinnati saying Johan's moving to Denver, wants to transfer his money to the Denver National Bank and needed a thousand dollars to tide him over in the meantime. And then she'd show up at the Denver National Bank every day to see if the money has arrived for about a week. And it didn't. And she's getting a little annoyed. This, so it's been a week in Denver. Johan's still violently ill. How is he still alive? Sick enough that the housekeeping staff would refuse to go inside the room anymore to clean it. It was that disgusting. The hotel owner peeked in after the housekeepers were like, this is weird. And so he saw Johan curled in the fetal position, just, you know, in his own filth. Like, it's so sad. Yeah, that's terrible. Mm. He urged Anna to take Johan to the hospital. Well, Anna was like, I barely know this guy. Instead, took Johan onto another train to Colorado Springs. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm sure Johan was like, oh, I'm being poisoned right now. You know, he was pretty far gone. I mean, so dehydrated at that point. He oh, yeah. not anything down. So once they got to Colorado Springs... Once again, Anna and Oscar left Johan to fend for themselves. They went sightseeing. When they came back, Anna noticed that the door to the hotel owner's private rooms were slightly ajar. So she took that as an invitation, peeked in. She saw two diamond rings sparkling on the dresser. So she pocketed them. As she was leaving, she ran back into the hotel owner's wife, who was suspicious. Yeah. Anna said, oh, I was just really curious what the rooms looked like. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> oh, I thought this was the restroom. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I, I lost. I'm lost. She kind of knew that was a mistake. She kept the rings. But she did check Johan into a hospital, registering him as a homeless man. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not even sure if she gave him his name, but he did oh. finally die at that hospital. Oh, poor dude. Not only to be poisoned, but then have to, like, travel while you're dying. And just be left in a hotel room. No one's taking care of you. So bad. For more than a week. For more yeah. than a week. <sighs> I did find an article that said Philip was a telegraph operator and that his mom is actually the one who saved him from dying. Oh, oh Okay. I wanted to get into that because I'm not sure if I have that information. All right. Well, at the beginning of August 1937, the police in Cincinnati opened up an investigation into Jacob's death because one of his friends called them, gave him a tip. It was like, <laughs> there was this like weird woman hanging around his house, you know, the days that led up before he died. Like, we don't know who she was, but she, she was there a lot. Cool. 
And then Anna and Oscar were back in um, Cincinnati at this point. So the detectives were starting to look into Jacob Wagner's death. They also had another another set of detectives that were investigating her for the crime of stealing two diamond rings, okay. which Anna had pawned for $7.50 on her way back to Cincinnati. <laughs> wow. That's so cheap. I know. It does not seem like you got your money's worth out of those. These detectives all came together. They discovered that, yes, this was the Anna that nursed Jacob Wagner right before he died. Weirdly enough, she'd also been in Colorado Springs around the same time as a Cincinnati resident named Obendofer had died, suspiciously. Mm -hmm. She had poison hidden in the rafters of her house. (laughs) Shit. So, whatever. Yeah. Where do you keep your poison? Yeah, you would think the rafters is a safe place, but it's not. In your neighbor's house. (laughs) There you go. Anna was arrested and taken to the police station. The press loved this story. And so as she was like getting out of the car, she kind of like combed her hair and smiled and told the press that they were welcome to take her photo. And she's like, here I am, boys. Make this a good picture of me. Oh my God. (laughs) Shit. This is like Chicago. It totally is. (laughs) This particular case, the women of Cincinnati were especially fascinated from, probably because a lot of them dreamed about poisoning their own husbands. Yeah. They're like, (laughs) things to do. Things to do. Shopping spree. The jury itself was 11 women and one man. And then the visitors to the courthouse every day were basically 15 to 1 women to men. So there's a lot of women in there. Yeah. Whoa. Anna showed zero emotion in the courtroom, but doesn't matter because she had a very cute, personable little boy named Oscar, who Mm -hmm. uh, at one point ran up to whisper something in Anna's ear, which caused one juror to just start sobbing. (laughs) Oh, mother, whatever. I guess they did notify her family back in Germany, and uh, upon being told that their sister was arrested, they responded back that they were, quote, uninterested in the whole matter. Wow. So, you know. Just like, well, there's six more of us, so we're fine. She's been gone for a long time. Yeah. All right, so her trial is October 11th. She was going to be tried for the murder of Jacob Wagner, because the prosecution thought that would be the easiest one to prove. There was this handwritten will. They had an expert who's like, this is a forged will, whatever. They also had exhumed his body, and there was a shit ton of arsenic in it. So there's that. Mm. It does seem very easy to actually win this one. During this, she kept talking to the press. She did tell one reporter, They'll never get a confession out of me, because I can't confess to something I never did. But I suppose the death of anyone past 60 anywhere in the country will now be laid to me. Is she from Texas? No, I don't know. She's I, a I was trying to accent do a 20, now. I was trying to do a 20s accent. I but she's that. German. They'll never get... Nope. <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> like, throw some later hosen in there. <laughs> Oh, she had very good English. It's like the when when Europeans try and do like an American accent instead of just talking like speaking in English versus oh, yeah. like, what do Americans mm-hmm. sound like? And it's like spot on, like the South. <laughs> I was trying to do twenties, but oops. Like a transatlantic accent. Yeah. Those those could have been like halfway to a transatlantic accent. Halfway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was still also a little Texas. Towards the end it got a little Texas. I can conceive that. <laughs> So, during the trial, they also exhumed the bodies of Albert Palmer, George Sullivan, and Johann Obendofer, all full of arsenic, and the judge was like, yeah, this this can be entered into evidence at the trial. This is fine. (laughs) 
The jury probably hated this. I would have loved this. They did get a bunch of doctors to testify, and they would show um, the brains, livers, and kidneys of all the men floating in little jars of formaldehyde, which I think is adorable. I was wrong. What are they supposed to see? I don't really know. Jars. Like, look, we exhumed and took them apart. (laughs) I think it would just be like to shock the jury, the prosecution, to shock the jury, and make them even be like, "This woman's a monster." Oh yeah, yeah, because organs are never fun to see. (laughs) What was the case where they like put the like was it intestines or skin? Oh, that was uh, that piece of skin with the scar of it. That was that was the Crippen case. Yeah, and they pass it around the jury. This one, I'm not sure if they passed the jars around, but there was a lot of organs. Can you imagine dropping it? It was just like formaldehyde (laughs) and brain tissue. Okay, I was wrong. George Heiss, remember George? Yeah, Mm he didn't actually die. Oh, he was the prosecution's star witness. Oh, and he was known as their quote-unquote living witness because he looked like shit. Because he'd been poisoned. (laughs) He'd been poisoned so much. He was like fucking thin as shit. Stuck in a wheelchair. Oh my God. A little bit of epilepsy, like a whole thing. Like he was not doing well. George was the one that demanded that she pay him back yeah. the 2000. Okay. And then she tried to find 2000 from someone else. Yeah. And, and then they were like, hey, guy. wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a lot. So he was a pretty compelling witness. <laughs> uh, we'll say that. And, you know, he was very easily able to ID Anna as the woman that tried to murder him. That's the bitch. <laughs> Uh, her son also took the stand. It was very obvious that he had been coached. And so he would speak very carefully, you know, very like rehearsed sentences. Uh, he did slip up one time and admitted that his mom, Anna, had initially asked him to lie about meeting Johan on the train. So, you know. Anna also was put on the stand. Still no emotion. She was just, was the prosecution tried to crack her? She was just cool as a cucumber. Whatever. <laughs> When you have no conscience. Yeah, it's pretty easy. All right. Well, the defense is, the defense was kind of shit. They didn't have very much to work with. And it was basically, uh, Anna's not perfect, but is anybody perfect? Nope. Nope. And that, uh, well, you can't prove how the arsenic got into the body. Might not have been Anna. <laughs> and then he also did play the cards of all the women in the jury was like, she's also her mom. Don't forget she's a mom. Yeah, that's important. Well, a little, a little late for that, the prosecution ended his uh, speech by saying, quote, In the four corners of this courtroom, there stand four dead men. Jacob Wagner, George Jesselman, George Obendofer, Albert Palmer. From the four corners of this room, bony fingers point to her, and they say to you, That woman poisoned me. That woman made my last moment in agony. That woman tortured me with the tortures of the damned. That was his closing argument. <laughs> All right. <laughs> very dramatic. It's very dramatic. All righty. Well, despite women being absolutely fascinated with this case and her jury being mostly women, they did, you know, return with the verdict very quickly, guilty, without the recommendation of mercy, which means the death penalty at this point. Hmm. Did, did. Of course, she had her fans, so prison pen piles wrote to her. <sighs> Offering to take her place in jail slash execution, or weirdly enough, asking if they could have her clothes after she died. (laughs) That rabbit coat. Yeah, that rabbit coat sounded nice. While waiting, her attorneys tried to appeal whatever. While she was waiting in in jail, she wrote her confessions, which was just ridiculous nonsense. She said she would never confess, though. Yeah, quote unquote, confessions. (laughs) Oh, 
Like the red shoe diaries. She admitted that she did it, but she blamed it on like all of these other factors. Okay. And also it was like, said she did it, but never was like, I don't know why. And so <laughs> she did say, quote in the book, I was sitting there hearing a story like out of a book all about another person. Couldn't in my mind believe that it was me, Anna Marie Hahn, who loved people so well and wanted friends all the time. God above will tell me what made me do those terrible things. I couldn't have been in my right mind when I did them. I loved all people so much. That was all over the place on the accent. <laughs> kind of like her personality. It's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. On December 1st, Oscar testified in front of the governor's executive secretary asking for his mother's life as a Christmas present. Jesus oh fucking God. Christ. So, didn't work. Real brazen. Nice try. Nice try. It was a nice try, honestly. It's a Christmas miracle. (laughs) My murdering mom's here. And so when Anna learned that the governor had turned down this last heartfelt plea from her son, she collapsed, screaming, quote, Oh my God, I didn't think that he could do that to me. He should let me live for my boy. Well, he, he wouldn't. And so after that, she fell apart, basically. So prison major would say, quote, In her last 24 hours, Anna Han changed from the poised, confident, proud, and even vain woman she had been continuously since she was first arrested into a little witch, a demon with a wild look in her eyes. When she knew the jig was up, she became the true Anna. Hmm. Yeah. Day of her execution, Oscar came to visit. They got to spend some time together. Oscar's story seems to finish by him being adopted by another family, and his name was changed. <laughs> so, that's Oscar. Not Philip? Not Philip. Okay. What did Philip do while she was... I hope Philip was just, like, fucking out of there by this point. I'm so curious about, like... I know. Just... <laughs> Philip, who are you? Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> All right. On December 7th, 1938, Anna was walked down death row. She was the only woman there, so she was in a men's prison. And so all these condemned men wished her good luck and told her, God bless you. And she said, <laughs> goodbye, boys, as she walked by. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> she kind of lost her composure when she got to the execution chamber and saw old Sparky, the electric chair. Yeah, it's kind of hard to see that chair and not feel things. No, and it had never held a woman before, so this might have been, this had to be before Ruth Snyder then. So, she did lose her shit at the very end. They had to, like, you know, force her to the chair, carry her, tie her down, whatever. Her last words were part of the Lord's Prayer. She did fuck it up. And right (laughs) after she fucked it up, three guards pressed these three buttons, and the electric chair sizzled. They're like, bitch, that was wrong, so we're just gonna end all of our misery (laughs) right now. They're like, oh, God. The sound was like a 4th of July sparkler, according to one of the journalists. But she died quickly. The physician checked for a heartbeat. She had none. And the warden kind of wrapped it up by saying that, quote, I'm surprised she broke. I had expected her to remain cool. I, everyone pretty much did. She had showed no emotion about anything for so long. But And then he also, I guess, like, talked to the press and was like, but she did break. And there was no convict in our prison's history who's ever been as terrified as she was before the chair. Yay. She felt something after all. Humble brag. Mm. So that's Anna Marie Hahn. (laughs) Good lord. I will be honest, I like absolutely love how you told this story. I'm good because this was let's pull the curtain back folks. We were sat down to record tonight. We're gonna do two. 
Meredith's like, what one do you want to do, Sarah? And she's like, oh, I'll do the odd number. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not going tonight. And Meredith's like, yes, you are. What? Yeah, you are. <laughs> so this happened, folks. You'd think Mercury was in retrograde still, but no. Uh, no, that's COVID brain fog. <laughs> so anyway, this happened. That's what I have. I have it written down somewhere, not in the script, about what her side was. She had cancer. Uh, she's very good at, like, at least pretending to have emotions and manipulate the men. Yeah. Well, obviously, I don't have any astrology for this because I don't even know I was doing this, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I have astrology. Yay. Okay. For astrology, I almost don't want to talk about astrology for this week. All right. Because. Is it all bad? It's going to be a rough one. No. Kind of like crowbar to the face. Great, great, great. And then I also have to consider that this is also the week that I will be in Oahu celebrating my sister's Oh, no. Yep, yep. Not great timing. However, life is what you make it. And since I will know this information I'm (laughs) about to provide to you, I can navigate through it in a positive way. Yay. Yeah. There's a lot. We're going to start Tuesday, November 8th. This day is going to wreck you threefold. Oh, no. You ready? No. We are getting a full moon lunar eclipse in Taurus. So uh, eclipses signify periods of change and transformation, but not all at once. This change is going to start with the eclipse, but it's going to last into spring. So this can be kind of an overwhelming time. So you have the choice to either struggle against it or to harness this energy. But Taurus is going to have us focusing on our bodies, our environments, and our values. We are going to struggle with this, and it is going to have a significant impact to our emotional stability as well as our material security. Okay. And then... Terrible. (laughs) The sun in Scorpio is going to be conjunct with Mercury in Scorpio. Oh. Scorpio, Scorpio, Scorpio. Truth will be an absolute necessity, but it's going to be very, very hard to navigate through the multi-layers of bullshit Scorpio. find yourself in. Truth is important, and Scorpio says no. Scorpio loves yeah. the truth, but... They, they like just, it secretive. They like to know it. They don't necessarily want to they wanna, tell it. They want to keep it, it in their yeah. back pocket in case they need it. Yeah. So this day is also going to give us just an utter sense of confusion. So we've got (laughs) emotional stability, material security, confusion, and then... And then... Mercury in Scorpio is going to be opposition with Uranus and Taurus. So... Mm. Information is going to be flowing at you in a very accelerated pace. Great. Jumping to conclusions will be the name of the game. Sadly, we won't have all the facts. Oh, Ooh, I don't like this week. Mm-mm. This is just Tuesday. This is just Tuesday. <laughs> Anxiety will be high, as will the need for some pretty fucking strong headache medication. So keep that in mind. Deep breaths, deep breaths. Wednesday, November 9th, doesn't necessarily look any brighter. Oh my god. The sun in Scorpio will be opposition with Uranus and Taurus. 
We will experience an unexpected event that will shake our foundation and leave us more than a little rattled. Great. Cool. Oh, God. I don't need any more unexpected events. Mercury in Scorpio will also be square with Saturn in Aquarius on Wednesday. And communication is going to be super difficult. We are going to overthink everything. And we are going to feel like there is a hidden meaning to everyone else's words. Well, this does sound like me most of the time, not just Wednesday, but. (laughs) So we head on to Thursday, November 10th. And Venus and Scorpio will be trine with Neptune and Pisces. And I know we tell you that trines are good things, and they are. This is going to be a soothing aspect. So we will feel a little bit of soothing. I will also add that this is my daughter's beach day when we're in Hawaii. Okay. Oh, it's a soothing day at the beach. Right? Which sounds great. Yeah. It's the calm before the storm. I'm worried about what's happening next, but... This brings a sense of false security, so you do need to be on guard because Friday, November 11th, oh God. which is also the big day. Oh, God. Happy wedding, TCT fan club president. It's going to be beautiful. We're aware of this shit now, so we will handle it. So Friday, November 11th, the sun in Scorpio will be square with Saturn in Aquarius. Mm. This is going to be utter fucking chaos oh my god oh my god there will be trials i can see that tribulations and obstacles at every turn as we navigate through the day and let me tell you when i say egos will be bruised oh no these are black and purple fucking bruises wedding it's full of egos i might make a blanket for it that day (laughs) (laughs) i had the ta that day whatever Then we move to Saturday, November 12th, and we get another little trine, but again, there's just, (laughs) these little trines aren't as happy as they normally are. So this little trine is going to bring some energy, like intuitive energy. So we really need to trust our guts because we are going to find ourselves knee deep again in bullshit as we try to locate the truth in other people's words. It's going to be interesting. Fuck. And then oh, Jesus Christ. to end the week, I told you it's a big, it's a big week of astrological fun stuff. Fun. Sunday, November 13th, Venus and Scorpio is going to be sextile with Pluto and Capricorn. A sextile, again, is just that 60 degree aspect. This is going to encourage us to use strategy as we focus on our business or finances. And so in my case, it's going to be how the fuck am I supposed to balance my checkbook after I just splurged on a bunch of shit. (laughs) Like I said, this week isn't shaping up astrologically to be the most peaceful. Yeah, but exciting there, dudes. You've been warned. These are things that you can look out for. There's triggers that you can look out for. You can deal with some of this if you're aware of it. And so it is a good point to remember that you cannot control any given situation, but you can control how you react to it. So if you do a little bit of inner zen, right, (laughs) we should be able to navigate this week and have a really wonderful time. All right. Is what I have for astrology. Well, I'm going to toss this back real fast. Just change the subject immediately. I've got to cite my source. 
It's the book Lady Killers by Tori Telfer. And I will say, totally fine book. I'll probably end up telling all the stories in this book at one point or another, but like, you know, buy it if you want. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> There's been some good stories in there, like about, this is Tilly Clement. This is, um, uh, what was her fucking name? The witch woman in, in Ireland? Alice Kytaler. Alice, Alice Kytaler. Mm. Yeah, like, the, yeah, those are some of the, the ones that were in there, so. Awesome. It's a great book. Yeah. All right. Well, friends, since we have to double record and I've got a shit ton of stuff to do this weekend and we're supposed to have a winter storm come oh through. Oh, my God. <laughs> I turned the heat on for the first time all year. Yay. All right. Listeners, what is the largest amount you've written on a check? <laughs> oh. oh, man. You can uh, write it out to us anytime you want. Uh, <laughs> Hannah starts. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can, you can't write a true crime trying. I don't think we can cash that. No. <laughs> I think then we'd have to like pay business tax. So we won't do that. Uh, we do accept beer donations. So reach out to us on Twitter at true trying on Instagram at true crime trying on Facebook at TCT podcast. You can email us directly at true crime trying at gmail.com. We will forward you our Venmos if you'd like to <laughs> donate. I will say I'm very seriously considering shutting out our Twitter completely out of protest. As social well, media manager, I can do whatever I want, right? You can. <laughs> yeah, you certainly can. It's not like I'm using it very well to begin with, but <laughs> fuck Elon Musk. We do what we can <laughs> as far as social media. I will be doing a lot better once I get this thing submitted and just like, I'm not even necessarily working One on less it. thing it's on just your like, plate. It's just like yeah. the monkey on my back that drags yep. me down everywhere. <laughs> it's big hairy. Oh, I have one more thing to say, and it was a... Uh, if you listen to Plans Are Optional, our brother podcast, mostly dudes, <laughs> on this week's that just came out, I also, we also learned my bra size, and I did say you could send me any bras or bralettes that you would like. What? <laughs> wow. So money, a nice bralette, we're open. Okay. Bye! Bye. <laughs> What's your bra size, <laughs> listeners? Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.